You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimal of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Hey, what's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning into the podcast today. This one is a special episode. I, I gotta say, this one was very unique and very, very fun and very insightful. Although, fair warning, we talk about gear almost not at all. We, do, we definitely talk about it a little bit, but what I really wanted to know was about this thing called music therapy. Chris is a listener of the podcast, and we got hooked up. We kind of tell that story uh, on the air. But basically, Chris shot me a message and... I saw in his email signature that he had music therapist in the email that he had sent me. And I thought, wow, what an interesting thing to talk about. So here we are, we sat down, he fills in a lot of the details, kind of explains what that really means. I know we've all kind of, uh, for lack of a better term, self-treated with, with music in some form or a fashion. Uh, you know, we, we all know how powerful that can be, but he really takes and shows that there's a there's a science and there's a technique behind it and what goes into it. But more than anything, he's kind of showing how it's a it's a very viable career for a musician. If you're wired that way and if you think that that is something that, that you're passionate about and helping people and music and all of that sounds great, I mean, why not give it a try? And so he talks about musictherapy.org. That link's in the show notes if you want to have a little more information about it. Also, he takes us, towards the end of the podcast, he takes us through a short relaxation script that he might use for for somebody. Really, it could work in any situation. And I found it very, very enjoyable. So when we get to that point, it's around 48-ish minutes or so. Um, If you want to just pause, get yourself nice and comfortable. Maybe you're, you know, lots of people listen to podcasts while they're doing other things. But if you can take five minutes, get comfortable in a chair, and kind of go through it with me, you can experience the same kind of level of ah that I did, and it's uh it's kind of a cool experience, and it really opens your eyes to kind of the possibilities that are out there for this kind of stuff. So yeah, uh, check out that link, and don't forget to subscribe to the newsletter, and you know the Tone Mob newsletter. We talk about that all the time. I don't need to talk about that anymore. Let's get right into the show. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Tone Mob podcast, show about guitar tone and the people behind it. I'm your host, Blake Wyland, and with me today for a little bit different episode, I have Chris Millett. How's it going, man? It's going good, man. Glad to be here. Did I say your last name right? I should have asked you, you said that it before. Absolutely perfect. Yes. And most easily people get been... it wrong. Yeah, yeah. So you did it perfect. <laughs> I was going to say that could have been a Millet, could have been a Millet. It could have been yeah. any number of. Of I get all of them, and it's like it's like, man, it seems like a pretty normal name, but I guess it's not common enough that it, I get I get the curveballs every now and then. I think most people probably think millet, 
they probably think that, but they're like, hmm, maybe this got to be more fancy. Than yeah, that. maybe this yeah, is a yeah. fancy guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get A's added to mine a lot. It's like Blake, but Wayland, is Wayland here. There's no, uh, I'm like, yeah. there's no A. There's, I mean, I get it. Wayland's a lot more common. Your mind plays tricks on you. But I think those names are more tricky when it's like close to a typical name, but you don't normally see it. I feel like people mess that up even more than if they're trying hard because it looks like a difficult name. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I think that's right. I think that's very accurate. Um, Well, we can jump right in here and and get to some of the nitty gritty of why I said this is a little bit different episode. Um, yeah, maybe maybe you want to give your perspective on how you arrived to be. Well, you're in the same spot you would normally be, but to be recording with me today. Yeah, well, I I just listened to your recent episode of Chasing Tone, and I was one of those people that was trying to win one of your first giveaways. That was one of the, ah, you're too late. So that's kind of how you and I first contacted uh, directly, because I've been listening uh, to your show, to Chasing Tone, to a lot of the different gear podcasts, because I am a gearhead. But the reason we decided to like, get together and chat is because I'm a music therapist and we just thought it'd be super cool to, you know, let some of the, the tone mob crew know about that and hopefully inspire some people to look into music therapy because, uh, right now music therapy is still, still fairly small as a profession in the U S there's about, I don't know the exact number, but there's somewhere between like six to 8,000 in the U S and there's a lot around the world as well, but uh, I just think it's a cool career opportunity that a lot of musicians don't know about or don't find out about until like later in life. When I think if people know about it as soon as they can, some people could explore that as an option. For sure. I mean, if for me, as somebody who's, you know, very deeply involved in music and love all this stuff, I only have a, a very, uh, I don't know probably only because the words are familiar to me. I don't really know how music therapy works. I know that myself and probably everybody else who's listened to this podcast has inadvertently used it or maybe on purpose as as a form of self therapy, but I don't know yeah. as far as a, like an active practice that most musicians are even aware that it's a a real, you know, applicable thing. Yeah, I would say not. I was really fortunate found out about it when I was in high school. Um but I kind of had the same response, like, oh, music and therapy, like, that makes sense. I want to look into that. It was right. kind of that same natural inclination. Um, and because music is therapeutic and a lot of the people that like the circles that you talk with and everything, obviously people are super invested in music. So we get that connection. We get that why music is powerful and why we want to be obsessed with guitars and pedals and music and all the other things. So um, I think it's inherent. It's inherent in a lot of culture in general. And it's in, it's been evident, you know, throughout history, as long as you look back, there are people playing music. Uh, so I think that part is the, it can almost be like overlooked because you're like, oh, well, music's everywhere. But uh, music therapy basically uh, I'm going to give you kind of the, the clinical definition. So from our American Music Therapy Association, 
they define it as the clinical and evidence-based use of music interventions to accomplish individualized goals within a therapeutic relationship. And that's by a credentialed professional who has completed a music therapy program. So what that large sentence basically means is um, it's using research-based, evidence-based ways of interacting in music uh, to help the wellness and the need areas of a bunch of different people. And when we talk about the different people in a clinical term, that's called like populations. So that could be people with special needs. It could be uh, prison populations. It could be people who have had, uh, you know, car accidents, neurologic impairments. It could just be people that are hospitalized um, as well as like elder care. So music therapists work in like a wide variety of settings and with a wide variety of uh, types of people. So how did you like, let's, let's explore kind of your path to it though, since it is such an unusual uh, choice for most people to make. You discovered it in high school, but obviously music was probably a big part of your life by the time you found it. So how, how do, how does this progression take place? Yes. So my parents were, were deadheads. We're like a big grateful deadheads. So when I was growing up, literally I, the best estimate we have is by the time I was five years old, I had seen the dead about 50 times. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it was serious. Uh, like the day before I was born, my mom was at a Bob Dylan show. And then like, literally, I think the doctor said it's safe to take him in public. And they took me to a Grateful Dead show, like within my first month of life. So I cried when Jerry Garcia died. I was like a small child. And just like, that was like the first time I remember even like grief was about Jerry Garcia. So um, so music was always around. My dad uh, is a self-taught guitar player. Um, and I remember he used to, he was on like a message board for Widespread Panic, the jam band, and would tab out uh, Widespread Panic songs and print them out on like dot matrix paper. So that's like my childhood. I remember like sheets of tablature and like uh, guitars being around. My dad mostly plays like acoustic type stuff. Um back then and it was always around and I like didn't really start music until middle school. I started band and I signed up cause I wanted to play drums and percussion. And as soon as I get there, like, no, too many people have signed up for percussion. What do you want to play? <laughs> so I, I, uh, <laughs> I ended up with trumpet just because, uh, I liked Louis Armstrong for some reason. Like I knew what a wonderful world as a little kid. And I was like, that would be cool. Trumpet sounds fun. Um, and it was fine. I did trumpet all through high school and I did marching band and all of that, but I got a guitar in seventh grade, my dad. So that Christmas, I was actually super mad because my dad got my siblings. It seemed like a mountain of presents that year and I didn't ask for it, but all he got me was a, a electric guitar. And I was like, what the heck? I don't, I can't play this. I didn't ask for this. <laughs> well, like, what is this? And it was a Squire, a Squire two, um, HSS made in Korea strat. I think it's like early nineties. Um, and 
right away he showed me like literally the 12 bar blues like shuffle like do 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 and i was like that's it i'm gonna be the next stevie ray vaughn like i was all in like so i went from being super annoyed to like practicing and playing constantly and like learning acdc and like all that like middle school uh just classic rock kind of stuff so i like Jimi hendrix and acdc and then i made some friends um and really got into the misfits so like old punk um and from there i naturally like started joining bands and uh got into like all kinds of metal through like iron maiden i got into like power metal and i had a power metal band in high school and did you know battles of the bands and things like that and then had a black metal band for a hot minute um and just kind of did the playing guitar and singing when they needed me to sing and all of that kind of stuff while I was still in marching band and like learning, you know, the fundamentals of music, but it didn't transfer super easily to guitar. Like I didn't know where the notes were on the guitar and I couldn't like read music on the guitar until senior year. I took this class where, um, I honestly took it because other people told me it was cool and you got out a half day of school and you went and job shadowed out in the community. And I was like, yeah, get out of high school half the day. This sounds awesome. <laughs> exactly. So I took that class. Yeah. And it was called um, experience based career education. And it had everything from like bakers to lawyers to dentists to doctors, like any random job that's in a like medium sized city. Uh, and I looked on there and what the only jobs for music were shadowing um, my current band director. And I was like, well, I don't I don't want to be at my school shadowing my band director. That's that's lame. So plus you uh, basically I, already know what he does. Yeah. And part. I never really wanted to be a music educator. Um, I was like, man. I just don't want to be doing band music like this. I did jazz band as well on guitar and like stuff like that, but I just, I didn't want to be in that school setting. I was just like, no, high schoolers are rotten. Like <laughs> this is not my thing. And now I'm married to a high school teacher. So there you go. But, um, so I took that class and I saw a music therapist and I saw, uh, Eastern state psychiatric hospital. And I was like, whoa, that sounds wild. Uh, and all I knew about that hospital is my great grandmother was a nurse there. It's like one of the oldest psych hospitals in the US. It's like in the top five oldest. And uh, she told me about crazy things that like happened there in like the 30s and the 40s when she was working there. And uh, I was just like, man, that sounds nuts. I want to go see what this is about. And from there, I was actually like super floored. Basically, this lady, the setup was like um, a group room where she was primarily her background was a pianist. So she <clears throat> had everybody gathered around the piano. And these were people with pretty severe psychiatric uh, conditions, schizophrenia, um, borderline personality disorder. So people that are like actively having like psychoses and hallucinations and not necessarily totally in the moment with you and just seeing her be able to start 
with a simple song that like gathers everybody together and brought everybody to like, they might not know what day it is. They might not know what is going on or what they're dealing with, but they're in the moment singing these songs and uh, connecting and working on self-esteem and working on um, how to manage anger and how to be present and all of these things that were really a, I didn't know all the therapeutic stuff that was going on at the time. I just thought it was super cool. And there were a couple clients that played guitar and she knew I played guitar. So she helped me like, why don't you help him? So I did like almost like a guitar lesson for a couple of the people. And then we had that guy perform for the rest of the group. Uh, so that immediately I was like totally hooked. I signed up to go there multiple times. Uh, across the year. And then I found out, I was like, okay, where do I go to do this? And found out that the nearest school, I'm from Kentucky. So the nearest school was in the University of Louisville. Um, and right away was like, well, I guess this is what I'm doing. Uh, and I signed up and knew a little bit about music therapy. But, you know, luckily through the coursework, I found out like, oh, this is totally for me. Uh, it was cool being in a music school. I had a bluegrass band in college and still gig occasionally and things like that. But um, through school, you get to work with a lot of different populations <clears throat> and you get to learn what it's like to work with individuals and what it's like to work in groups. And then the last part of a music therapy degree uh, is to do an internship. And that's like an intensive, usually a six month period where you're at a facility, basically just learning how to be a music therapist, like 40 hours a week. Like you're like the shadow and apprentice, if you will, of a music therapist or a team of music therapists. And then after that, um, there's a board certification exam and you sit down and take that and then you're qualified. So a lot of that training is like on human development, music and music theory and all the regular music classes as well as like counseling skills and how to use instruments and music therapeutically and, and then all that field work. So it's like a combination of psychology and a healthcare and uh, just, just a lot of things coming together to basically use music to help people in a creative way. So there's a lot of different ways that people practice and there's a lot of different populations that people can work in and specialize in. And I, that's why I think a lot of people, uh, should know about it as an option because it's a great career path for somebody who likes to help people and likes to use music. What one thing that I noticed that I thought was kind of interesting and and I don't know if you've really thought about it, but you've talked about a lot of different styles of music and a lot of a lot of different bands. <clears throat> but like Correct. one thing, one thing you you did mention, <clears throat> excuse me, was you you played in a black metal band and then. <laughs> Fast forward a little bit, a little bit further, you were like, and then I was in a bluegrass band. And then this is, I'm thinking Grateful Dead, black metal, bluegrass. I'm like, this is probably slightly unintentionally kind of perfect for your career because you never know who you're going to be talking to. And it's like, do you know this song? And if they're talking to somebody like you versus somebody like me, the answer is more likely to be yes. You know, or you, you can think of a style of music that I'm just I'm kind of projecting here, but. Yeah. I'm thinking like you could you could just do a lot more for a lot more people if you have a variety of interests the way you do. Is that have you found that to be true? There yes. I think it definitely helps to have a lot of knowledge of a lot of music, but there 
So to get into the kind of like the nuts and bolts of, of what a session like looks like, depending on the population, like when I was working in the hospital, seeing a lot of children and adults that are, you know, it's the hospital. So it could be just very regular people that get sick and they're in the hospital. So that kind of population, knowing a lot of, we, we call it repertoire, but you know, a lot of songs and a lot of genres it is super helpful because you never know who you're going to run into. And, um, there are some populations and there are some approaches to the way people theoretically think about music therapy that using different genres like that is, uh, more impactful than others. Some people practice from a very improvisational model where it's very active in the moment a lot of improvising. Some people it's very repertoire based. It's kind of like psychology. I don't know how much, uh, you know, about like going to different therapies, but there are different orientations and ways that people conceptualize that. So for some people that repertoire is humongous. And I think it's good for, like you said, just connecting with people as well. Um, but like I work in a place now where I work with a lot of different groups. So it is very helpful for me to be able to know a lot of Disney songs as well as uh, how to improvise well, as well as when I'm working with like an addiction recovery group, I'm using like tool and, you know, more aggressive alt country and things like that, that, uh, you know, somebody who's been incarcerated identifies a lot more than like a pop a top 40 type song so right um yeah so a wide variety of music i think it's helpful in general but for some people the way they practice it's even more essential gotcha gotcha that was that does lead me to a an, my next question which is like what does let's just you know hypothetically say you're coming into a session with a brand new patient one that you've never worked with before. So you don't really know, you know, exactly. I'm assuming what the interaction is going to be like. What, where do you even start? I'm so unfamiliar with all this. Like what is step one? Yeah. So we follow just a therapy process that kind of guides how your brain organizes that thought. Cause it is overwhelming. Um, and that process is getting referral information. Um, then you're doing an assessment after that, you determine their needs and you turn that into goals and those goals get turned into objectives, way that you, ways that you can see if you're making progress and then you go from there. So in a place like a hospital, you might get a, somebody who says, this person's really in pain and that's all the nurse tells you because the nurse is like, and I've got to go put an IV in this other patient right now. Sorry, can't talk. So that is a very real situation. Uh, and you walk in and usually how I start in something like the hospital would, would be, hi, I'm Chris. Nice to meet you. Uh, your, your nurse told me that you're in pain today and I'm just seeing if music can be a way that we can either distract from that pain or, um, teach you some ways to cope with that pain through, through music. How's it sound? And usually people are like, um, okay. You know, or some people are like, that's great. And then some people are like, I don't know, I'm tired. Uh, but I think from there, how it typically looks is whether it's a session with someone with special needs or whether it's in a, 
in a hospital or whatever, it usually just involves trying to find a way to make music. We try to use people's strengths. So people don't have to be inherently, you know, musicians to come to music therapy. Um, but musicians are also totally welcome and encouraged as well. But we're trained to know, okay, I've got a lot of percussion instruments. What, what could be successful for this client who maybe has uh, cerebral palsy and can't grasp a mallet very well? Or So we have a lot of easy percussion instruments, as, and we use all kinds of stuff, and we figure out ways to MacGyver instruments and turn them into things that could be easily adapted and played by a variety of people. But usually it turns into making music and that can either be using familiar music and things that people like, uh, or it could be something that I've written or it could be improvised on the spot. Um, But I usually have my guitar always with me because the primary instruments that you have to be uh, air quotes competent in, that's what the, the, music therapy training is all schools are going to make sure people are competent using their voice, using guitar, using piano and using uh, percussion generically. So like a lot of different percussion. So interesting. Is that, so, is that just because that's what's, you know, most common in popular music or what's the reasoning behind the specific instruments? Um, that is definitely partially it because in like the sixties, there were schools that were requiring people to be good at, um, like organ and there were people and what are some other instruments? I think, um, accordion used to be an instrument that was focused on in, in, uh, music therapy training. And that's long since fallen out of what current people are doing. So there are a <laughs> okay, lot of like right. current, they do a lot of like surveys and see what people are practicing and doing. So, um, yeah, it does have somewhat to do with what's popular and it's also like, what are people using? Um, but those are kind of like the pillars and obviously people are free to use whatever and a lot of other adapted instruments. Um, but those are kind of like the main four that, that we focus a lot on in education. Okay. Gotcha. So is it a requirement before? I mean, obviously it's very, very unlikely that anyone who's interested in this would not play an instrument of some sort, I would think. But is it a requirement to learn that stuff beforehand or do they do they help teach you some of that stuff in school? No, it is not a requirement. You ha- The requirement would be that you do have to get accepted into a music school. So some people get accepted into a music school on instruments like flute or clarinet or trumpet. Um, so you have to have that level of musicianship enough to be accepted into that school. But there are. I have many colleagues who didn't start playing guitar, piano, or even using their voice or using percussion until uh, that time. And I personally came from playing guitar, was already proficient. I didn't have to, I like uh, got to whatever you call it, like sub out of those guitar classes because I had the techniques for guitar, but piano, I didn't know any piano other than like what the notes were before college. And, uh, so you take piano class and you take four semesters of that and then improvising at the piano and you take voice classes and you take percussion methods classes. And some schools require that you are still taking classes on like, uh, wind instruments and like learning how to make sound on a trumpet and a tuba and all those kind of things too. So it just depends on the school for those kind of things. 
but usually it's just to be um, to be in the school and to be accepted on some instrument. But I will say, the more you know, the easier school is going to be because if you already have a solid foundation on any of those instruments, that's more time that you can focus on the others and on the like learning the therapy side as well. That's what I would like to get into. Like where, like the nuts and bolts. Like, I mean, I, I've wrote songs. I understand, you know, music mm-hmm. composition as much as somebody who didn't go to school for it can, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, what, but like, what is, what is the nuts and bolts? Like what, what is it about these what makes you choose certain songs for certain situations? Like, I, I mean, I kind of distracted you from the initial line of questioning. So I guess mm-hmm. maybe, maybe we should go back to that, uh, so you're kind of analyzing the situation. Where does the music yes. actually come in? Like what what physical thing do you do? Yes. Well, in general, I'm trying to use music from my back, from my philosophical and theory, theoretical view. I'm trying to use as much music as possible. Um, and basically how that works is somebody comes in and whether that's a child and I'm doing something that is like literally a, a hello song or whether that's just an adult and an introductory experience. Maybe it's somebody I know and we're doing um, a vocal warm-up. but I'll give you an example. So for example, um, I frequently go to memory care facilities for senior adults and I use a good balance of music that is familiar to those people and also music that is not familiar. So A good example is I start off the session using an adaptation of Hank Williams. So I start off with, hey, good looking. And that's like my tongue in cheek kind of joke. Like, uh, oh, look at all these beautiful people here today. Hey, good looking. uh, And kind (laughs) of start off with that. So that's my dad joke. Uh, And then uh, from there, I know enough about the theory and improvising that, uh, we call it adaptations or extensions. Basically, that's how do you take a framework of a song and adapt it to what you need to do? So instead of just, hey, good looking, and then there's the the B section, the I got a hot rod Ford, instead of just those two parts, I might add in another part that may or may not be the melody of either of those parts or a totally new part where I'm just doing something that says like, uh, hey to Blake. And Blake, how are you today? And just like a reality orientation question where I'm singing and asking like, Blake, how are you today? And you would say whatever. What would you say? I'm a little bit uh, underslept, but I'm good. Okay. So yeah, <laughs> a little tired. Okay. Who is, and then I might do something like, is anybody else feeling tired today? And just like use that individual's answer as a way to connect with the group. Gotcha. And then... Uh, and I may or may not give them something simple to shake along like egg shakers, but that's just a, something to use, like maybe a familiar song at the beginning. And then something else I frequently do with older adults is um, physical and cognitive and speech exercises. So that's where I get into some of the extra training. There are a lot of extra trainings in music therapy that you can do. And one of the ones I have is called neurologic music therapy. And that really digs into the functional and psychological aspects of how music is processed in the brain and how it's processed in the brain affecting what it makes your body do. So I use um, rhythmic based or melodic based 
um, experiences to promote speech production, to promote physical movement. And that might look like um, using a piano or using a guitar and by the melody and by the uh, rhythmic cue and all the different things that I'm using, I'm prompting them to raise their arms up and raise their arms down. Or I'm doing a simple choir-like exercise like, I can sing real high, I can sing real high, and just doing something like that. And But the transfer is, it's not like a choir exercise like that you would do in a choir. The point is to keep their vocal strength up and so that they can ask for help when they're in a situation when they need help or uh, to make sure that you know, they are moving their body and the blood is flowing and um, using strong rhythmic pulses to make sure that they can keep their motor coordination up. And then I do uh, experiences that almost like a musical brain teaser. Uh, so something like uh, a good example is one that my colleague taught me. It's um, give me a guy's name that starts with the letter A. Uh, Aaron. Aaron. Okay. A female name that starts with a Ashley, Aaron and Ashley. And they live in what place that starts with the letter a, uh, <laughs> that was harder. Uh, Alabama, Aaron, Ashley in Alabama. And they sell what thing at the market? Apples. It's apples. That's always what people say for a, so <laughs> then I have a cute little song that goes, Aaron and Ashley live in Alabama and they sell apples in the markets. And then, so I have them sing that with me uh, back and then it can be really funny depending on what people pick. So there's that humor aspect of it as well. And um, so there's a lot of things going on. There's direct questions that people are responding to. They have to be oriented to the moment as well as that short-term memory right after we pick all of those, then we're singing it back and the music's reinforcing that they can keep something in their short-term memory for that moment, uh, which is usually the deficit with like dementia and Alzheimer's type of disorders. And after that, I might use something like Little Richard and do like Tutti Frutti and we're shaking an instrument and the energy level's going up or maybe it's Hound Dog by Elvis or something like that. Um, and then during Hound Dog in the middle, I might have something where uh, right after a verse it's now play this rhythm and i might strum on my guitar like a rhythm and then they're in training to a rhythm and that's another example of like extending an experience and some people do things like create like a musical bingo board or um you know different kind of experiences like that to engage with older adults so um sometimes it's basically experiences can be receptive or they can be active uh, in a very generic sense. So sometimes we're doing experiences where we have people playing instruments like xylophones. It could be copying a specific pattern. Um, it could be learning an instrument like while they're in the hospital to be something that's like a coping skill, learning guitar, learning ukulele, learning piano. Uh, it could be in the kind of counseling based realm, we could be doing something like lyric analysis or song discussion where I will bring a song into a setting um, like a psychiatric setting, like a new song, um, that I just use is that, I guess I just feel like the new John Mayer song or it's a few months old now, mm -hmm. but I bring that song in and I'm like, 
okay, guys, what's your response to this song? Like what lyrics stuck out to you right away? So I'll perform it live and then um, we'll talk about it. And then I may or may not have like a theme or a purpose um, behind it, or it may just be, let's let them pull out of it what they need for today. Uh, But just that instead of being so direct and coming to a counseling session, that's very like, tell me everything that stereotypical sit on the sofa and tell me about your life. (laughs) Right. Uh, It's using something that's powerful and people connect to. And there's also that kind of third layer there of, it can be easy to speak about a speaker in a song instead of directly about their experience. That could be an issue with things like trauma and addiction and things like that. Um, or it can just bring to light things. And in a group environment, you're seeing people like, oh, I agree with that person or I disagree with that person. And here's why. Um, but even recently, just doing something like that, we had a client recently talk about, you know, like this part of this song reminded me about, you know, my mom passing away. And uh, I've never really I've never really processed that. And I wonder if that's a lot of the reason that I use and things like that. So, and then that one person saying that makes a lot of people head nods and a lot of people are like, wow, I never thought of it like that. And we might use something like that and turn it into lyric substitution, which is like, it's like songwriting light. So what I might do is take, take that song and it's, I guess I just feel like, and put blanks almost like Mad Libs. And then, that doesn't require an exceptional amount of songwriting ability. Right. Uh, but it's a good way that suddenly that message becomes super personalized. Now with some clients in the hospital, I've done straight up totally original songwriting and that's can be on a continuum of co-writing. So it could be me assisting a lot or it could me just basically encouraging them. Um, and we've done things like perform those for, staff members perform them for their family members. Maybe there's something they haven't been able to communicate to their family about. And this songwriting outlet has been super meaningful for them. Um, And then there's a lot of people doing really cool stuff nowadays too, like really outside of the box things called community music therapy. Um, The closest thing I've done, like a big example is we had a prom at the children's hospital. I worked at every year for um, kids with chronic, conditions, cancer, um, other just Crohn's disease, different things that really limit their ability to be in a typical school setting and things like that. So they're not interacting with a lot of people, maybe other than their family and their healthcare team. And we do a prom every year. And well, last year I was like, let's get a band. So I took some of my clients that have worked with us in music therapy. And I was like, well, you're pretty good at trumpet. You seem like you're willing to learn keyboard you already play acoustic. Let's get you on electric. And we played a set and had an awesome show and they got to show off in front of their peers. And uh, that, that model of these aren't people coming to therapy. These are musicians that I can, I can help them get to that point where they can share their gifts and things like that too. So that's a newer thought and thing in music therapy as well. But, um, that was super fun. I got to partner with Ernie Ball and JHS, let us borrow a few pedals and uh, different stuff like that. So that was a cool, like, how can I get the music community involved as well? So 
basically music therapy, it's kind of hard sometimes to explain because it can look like so much. But I also think that's part of the reason that it's so cool and such a good opportunity for a musician because it's generally a viable career path. Um, You're not going to be making zillions of dollars, but there's not a lot of music careers that you do make zillions (laughs) of dollars. But I think it's a very stable career path. Um, There's a lot of research. There's a lot of evidence base behind it that more and more places are hiring most of the time, the the bigger problem nowadays is there's not enough people to fill the jobs. Uh, so it's it's a good career path for a for a musician for sure. I think you know I'm I'm just thinking about the 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 things you would experience and the things that you would see doing this. You know, I think it's a I think it's a great option for those that are that are wired for it. But you're you're sitting here telling me these stories and I'm not even there and I'm not even directly involved. And I'm like getting a little bit misty, like like <laughs> like, like I, I, I wonder, like, do you just have are you just bombarded with experiences on a daily basis that would make your average, you know, person like me just cry all the time? Because I feel like I would just cry all the time <laughs> when being exposed to these people in these these situations, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's such a, it's such a, um, perspective giver for lack of a better term. No, absolutely. I think, I do think that there is that element, although it is an awesome career path, it's not for everybody. And there are elements of like, I've known students and I've known professionals that have burnt out and not been able to do it. Cause like I said, you don't make a zillion dollars, but it's a solid career path. But if you can't handle the emotional stresses and then there's also like, you're, you're always dealing with misconceptions. You walk into a building and they're like, the music guy's here. And you're like, well, I just have a four year degree and a lot of training, but yeah, the music guy's here, (laughs) you know? So some people don't like to me that doesn't, that's no sweat off of my back, but I know that that is something that gets to certain people and I, and working with challenging populations. Um, I do think that's one of the best ways to work in music therapy is a lot of people find out, you know, Hmm, I don't want to work in hospice or I don't want to work in, in the hospital or I don't want to work here. Right. But because this is too heavy for me, I loved working in oncology. I love working in end of life care. Um, and different things like that. That gives me energy. I love to be a part of that special moment. And don't get me wrong. I have straight up cried. I have, um, you know, had to deal with grief and still have to deal with grief and just hard situations. But I think it's knowing yourself, knowing what you can handle, uh, knowing when you need to, you know, have supervision, have another music therapist that you can have like, counseling time with, have a counselor, have a therapist, uh, because like it is heavy work. Um, while it's also, I think that is the unsuspecting thing is everybody thinks, Oh, it's super fun. Uh, what a cool job. You get to play music all day, which it is, but there's also all of these heavy parts as well, that if you're not arming yourself appropriately, you're, you could set yourself up for, uh, dealing with a lot of issues and confronting a lot of things in your own life and how you're feeling about things. Cause, uh, that is a very real thing for me. I love a lot of those populations and really the things that wear me down are like 
really repetitive tasks and things like that. So for me, like dealing with the heavy stuff is not necessarily the part that burns me out. It's like the, oh, how am I going to manage all of these other things I've got to do and are very repetitive or this population that is, you know, I'm doing the same thing over and over because of the nature of the population. So those are the ones that are actually like harder for me. So there, everybody has their thing and it's kind of your personality and you have to like people. So if you, if you <laughs> now, whether you're introverted or extroverted, I know great music therapists that, you know, need their alone time uh, and things like that. That's not really the issue, but you do have to want to be able to serve people. And if you don't like that, then that's maybe not a good choice either. So here's kind of an off the wall thing. Are there, are there any techniques that we as musicians can use, you know, maybe we, when we're in a situation when we're feeling down or overwhelmed or need to focus or, or something, is there something we can use, you know, that, and that we maybe we're overlooking, like we have guitars, everyone that listens to this podcast, I'm assuming has a guitar around. Like, is there, is there techniques that you can kind of use on yourself to help you know, help whatever situation you're dealing with outside of just picking up your guitar and strumming it, you know, like active things that you know about that the listeners could use. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of good wellness type of, uh, research, not even just by music therapists. There's a lot of people that just do music research as well. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people that listen to this already do some of these things, but, you know, using music to, Uh, help you go to sleep or help you study or uh, different things like that. But I would say some specific things when you're talking about like um, about maybe dealing with like depression or anxiety, Uh, it seemed like kind of like more what you were saying a little bit, but uh, I think being open to that, that songwriting thing. And I think trying trying new experiences. Cause you know, sometimes as like guitarists, you can get very caught into like, this is the genre that I play and you can get burnout by, you know, I play one way. And I think some of the simplest things you can do as a musician to take care of yourself is try to expand the types of genres and things that you're listening to and that you're learning. And I think just that musical growth is definitely one way. Um, Another interesting thing is, there's recent research that shows that learning new instruments actually uh, helps older adults fight off uh, Alzheimer's. So literally, as you age, learning new instruments is actually super, super, super beneficial for your cognitive abilities. So uh, if you've ever wanted to learn whatever instrument, do it. Like, there's no late time to do it. I try and pick up a new instrument every couple of years. My newest one is pedal steel. Oh man, you're reading my mind. (laughs) Yeah, it is. I, if I was to start again on pedal steel, I would have started with non pedal and just lap steel at first. Okay. But, uh, dude, pedal steel is so much fun though. So it's just, you feel like an idiot for like six months. But after you get over that initial like <laughs> hill, you're like, oh, this actually sounds pretty cool. Um, it's funny because as you were saying that, I'm like, man, I've always wanted to learn the pedal steel. I should really I should really bite the bullet and start learning the pedal steel. And then you're like pedal steel. I was like, oh, man, I love pedal steel so much. It's one of my favorite sounds on the planet. I love oh, it. 
there is a lot of there's a guy who has a podcast called I think it's called the Pedal Steel Show. He's maybe even out of the Portland area. I know he's oh? in your your neck of the woods. His name's Brian Dast. Uh, and he plays with like singer songwriters and stuff like that. So um, I know that that scene around there, there's like a lot of pedal sealed open jams and things like that. You should definitely go, go yeah. check that out. Yeah. It's one of those things where um, with guitar, we're kind of lucky because you can dip your toe in the water without, without too much of a financial commitment. Oh uh, yeah. And you know, it's like, yeah, I, I want to try learn guitar. Okay. I'll get you a squire and you can give it a try. There's not really a squire version of pedal steel. No, there's not. And unfortunately, like you, you kind of need like a mentor because when I was looking to buy my first pedal steel, my pedal steel is the most expensive guitar I own. Right. Because, um, because you don't want a crappy guitar and you want something that has enough pedals and knee levers for you to get started on. So I got a, um, it's called a stage one pedal steel. It's this, it's this builder out of Branson, Missouri. Okay. Um, he was super cool and it was, it was a very affordable, like entry level steel. That's still like gigable quality. So I would say like, if I was to give you like a reference, it would be probably like, uh, like a Mexican strat. Like that's the that's like the equivalent like level of it. Like okay, definitely solid. Gigable, definitely usable will get you along fine. Um, but you can easily spend thousands of dollars on um, pedal steel. Like the average, like really nice professional is like 2000 plus. Nice. So mine was about, I think after with everything was about 1400. Okay. It's still crazy expensive. But it's expensive, but it's not like, it's not the craziest thing I've ever heard. No, but when you're like you're saying, it's not a squire. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. <laughs> OK, I want to I want to pause this for a second here. OK, this is the moment I'm talking about. So if you're up and about doing things, now's a good time to go find a chair for just five minutes or so and just take a load off. Just uh, take a chill pill and relax with us for just a little bit. All right. Are you there? Are you there? Okay, if you can't, come back to this later. But seriously, if you can take a couple minutes with this, I think you'll really enjoy it. So we, we paused the recording for, for just a minute because I had a funny idea that I wanted to try, and I think this, I think this is going to work out well. So normally we don't do that. Normally we just record the whole way through, but I wanted to, wanted to ask Chris this before I just uh, you know, put it out on the air. And uh, I, I thought, you know, I've got a really busy day ahead of me. Uh, you know, it's a little bit stressful. There's some stuff going on. Nothing, nothing bad. Just, you know, normal, normal, everyday stress types things. And I thought maybe if he could, you know, provide, uh, you know, a sort of an exercise in relaxation or centering or something. I'm not really sure because I don't know, know this world, but I kind of explained to him what my day was like. And he had some ideas of things we could try and we could actually kind of take a look into what a mini little mini session might look like. So that's kind of what we're doing right now. And uh, hopefully you guys enjoy it. So I'm looking forward to, I'll just hand the reins over to Chris. Yeah. So this is an example of literally something I've done lots of times in sessions. Uh, It's called a relaxation script. And basically I'm using, you know, a script that I've developed 
Um, and usually I just find scripts online. Like I literally just Google for relaxation scripts and then I just edit them. And I'm like, man, that part seems a little clunky and I just change the words. And then, um, this is something you can also use like very often. There's a lot of really good YouTube videos of different relaxation scripts and mindfulness things. Uh, but I might use this for a patient who's in pain or who's having a lot of anxiety or, you know, like, like you said, like just regular day-to-day stuff, just stressed. And I'm going to do like an abbreviated version of it, but basically I'm going to do it like for real though. So Blake, just go ahead and get comfortable as comfortable as you can in your chair. Uh, whether that means just leaning back and just, you know, having your feet on the ground or whatever's, whatever's comfortable. All right. And do that. And then, um, just to show you all behind the curtain a little bit, an example of a way that I could adapt music is one thing I like to use. I really like this chord progression for, um, guided relaxation. Ah, yes, that's nice. So I use some chords, but when you speed it up, it's actually... So hopefully that's not too distracting to think throughout. Uh, But I I like to use the police when I'm uh, doing guided relaxation. All right. All right. uh, But get comfortable. Go ahead and uh, lean back. Take a deep breath in. And out. Take another deep breath in. And out. Just keep taking nice breaths at whatever pace is comfortable for you. Because the point is just to take a couple of minutes and think about your own peaceful, safe place. And this can be something that you can imagine at any time you're having a really stressful day and just something to feel centered and just mindful of your body and how you're going to feel throughout the day. Take another breath in. And out. And one more in. And out. Just let the music wash over you. Let your breathing become a little bit slower as your body starts to feel more relaxed. you to begin and create a picture in your mind of a place where you can feel completely relaxed. Everything for you to feel calm and serene. This can be a place that you've been before, or this could be totally imaginary. Start with the physical layout. 
Is it somewhere indoors or somewhere outdoors? Is it a small place or a large place? Now picture some more details. Who's in this place? Are you alone or are you with someone else? Are there other people present? Are there animals or birds? Is it only you or do you have company? Now start to take in what are those relaxing sounds around? the tastes and the smells? What's the sensation of touch? What's the temperature? Is there any breeze that's present? What's the surface you're on? Imagine the details of this calming place. Now in your mind's eye, I want you to think about the sights. What are the colors, shapes, objects, plants, water, what are all the things that make this place enjoyable? To add further detail, if you haven't already, I want you to imagine yourself there. What would you be doing? Perhaps you're just sitting, enjoying it, relaxing. Maybe you're walking or doing some other activity. As you imagine yourself there, imagine that feeling of calm, peace, a place where you can just be, where there's no worries, no concerns, no cares at all, just rejuvenation, relaxation, and just being. Enjoy this place for a few more moments. Memorize those sights, sounds, all the sensations. Know that you can return to this place whenever you need a break. In the last moments, I want you to just take a picture, almost like you're going to snap a shot for Instagram. What is this place? And picture yourself there. The moment you're imagining now, you can picture that again the next time you need to relax. I'm going to count backwards five to one. Once I get there, you're going to be fully alert and back into the world, ready to face the day. Five, start to feel your fingers wiggle. Four, maybe you're alert to the surface that you're on. Three, you're cognizant of your breathing. Two, maybe you're opening your eyes and looking around.
Wow, you're good at that. <laughs> you like that? <laughs> that I try to leave nice. space there and let let you make the first move after that. Ooh, mm, that's what I needed. I didn't know there it, but go. that's what I needed. That was wonderful. What Thank were you. you. Thinking of? Uh, I was actually picturing a place that I've I have not been for a very long time. It's called Lost Lake. It's here on uh, on Mount Hood in Oregon. I I haven't been there since I was very young. And while I was thinking, while I was you know mentally there, I was like. I'm going to go there. It's not like it's like Good. it's not like it's far away. It's right there. It's just like, you know, it's like a 40 minute, 45 minute, an hour maybe drive from where I'm at. Yeah. I'm like, I'm That's like, sweet. well, next nice day I get the opportunity. It looks like I'm just going to go there. <laughs> that sounds awesome, man. Well, yeah, that's an example of like an actual thing that I have done with lots of people. And sometimes I have people fall asleep and then I just try to moonwalk out the door and like not make noise. So, <clears throat> right. Um, some people might think it could be tongue in cheek or cheesy, but I mean, most people it's like, nope, that feels great. <laughs> like I'm relaxed. So, oh yeah, uh, I feel I feel great. I uh, I feel like I just got it done with a a session with the Calm app. <laughs> so, there you go. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that the was cool wonderful. Thing is like I'm able to control a lot of variables in the music. That's that's one of the big advantages of. I can really personalize things. I'm in the room. I can help people create a relaxation script. I like that one though, because it's very vague and open and it lets like, you could do that with a group of people and people might be thinking of totally different places. I've had people say like, I was on a motorcycle and other people like I'm on the swing on the porch, you know? So <clears throat> I like that, that, that one's open to whatever. Cause sometimes people will do scripts that are like, I'm walking on the beach and for some people they're like, "Ugh, I just think of sand everywhere and sunburns, you know, that was me. That uh, was me. I so, like uh, beach, not relaxing for me. So, <laughs> yeah. So, and that's, that's why I like that open-ended one. And I, I always like to ask like, where are people thinking? Cause I always think it's interesting. <laughs> yeah. That, that was, that was really nice. Yeah. For some reason, uh, I just went right back there. It's, uh, it, again, I don't think I've been there in, maybe close to 20 years, at least not on purpose, you know, might've drove by it or something on the way to something yeah. else. But, uh, yeah, it's just a small little, you know, state park campground. And it's just, it's, there's nothing completely remarkable about it other than everywhere around Mount hood is beautiful. So it, you know, you can kind of pick yeah. your, pick your place there. Um, but it's just, it's like just another lake just around Mount yeah. hood. I don't know why I went there specifically, but that's, that's where, fun. that's where my brain went. That's good. Yeah. I like to use that one too, because like I said, that's a good example that I use in presentations because it's like, uh, that song is straight up. Every breath you take. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. It's just an example of like how you can use familiar music and you can use things. So if you're using music to relax though, the best thing for musicians is to use things that are unfamiliar to you. Cause otherwise you're going to be analyzing it. And it's hard to switch off that brain if you know the music really well, unless you've right. conditioned yourself to think this is my calming, relaxing music. So. It, it's funny that, that, you know, we're talking about calming and relaxing and centering and, and that's all really important. But I'm starting to realize that, like, I, I've been using music uh, in a different way, uh, kind of the opposite way, um, you know, in a, in a weird form of kind of self-therapy that I didn't really think consider that it was that until just now whereas like i'll put on like like one of the things that, that helps me get through the week mentally is putting on like very aggressive 
you know, post hardcore or metal or something mm-hmm. like that. And, and going, and going to the gym like that yeah. blows the no, cobwebs yeah. out for me. And, and I'm, you know, there's certain, there's a certain sweet spot. There's a, you know, a few bands that hit that sweet spot for me where for it's sure. aggressive enough, but also groovy enough and also riffy yeah. enough that it, you know, I, and you know, it's like cancer bats every time I yeah. die, a few things like that. But yeah. I didn't consider it a form of therapy until just now. And I guess it, I guess it kind of is. It's just the opposite. <laughs> yeah. All of those kind of principles of like the psychology of music is definitely things that <clears throat> we leverage as music therapists because it's like, you you know, people already like we're wired to respond that way. So we leverage those things in what we do. And the there like music is already therapeutic in nature. So mm-hmm. I think that's why that idea of music therapy makes so much sense to so many people. Cause it's like, well, well, duh, I use it for this and I use it for that. And, um, yeah. there is a difference between like, I'm a professional doing whatever, but it's like, I empower people to use music in their life any way they can. So. Yeah, it's a, it's a powerful thing. I mean, we're all here. Everyone's listening to this because of music, not because fuzz pedals are awesome, which they are, but it's not, which that's, they are. Yeah. yeah, that's not why anybody's here though. It's, it's the, the power of music and what it has you know, the impact it has on our brains. And that's why this was a fun episode to kind of explore. I'm really, really happy with, with how it turned out. Thank you for coming on. This was awesome. Yeah, man, for sure. Well, you know, to wrap this thing up, I I would be remiss if we didn't, you know, we we already, you know, I already just uh, didn't talk about gear hardly at all on this whole thing, but I think everyone will probably be okay with that. But I, I'd better ask you at least the last, the, you know, last couple classic uh, questions, or we might yes. have pitchforks on our hands. Uh oh. Yeah. So, what is your favorite boss pedal? Um, I think I I love boss pedals. Uh, probably my favorite is the RV six. I use that. Ooh, that's good always on my. Or sorry, the RV five. The RV five is always on my board. Uh, I do a lot of playing for church and stuff like that. So the RV six and the modulate or RV five and the modulate. So great. Mm -hmm. So that's probably my favorite. I love, I have uh, several on my board, but I would go with the RV five. Good pull. All right. RV five is great. It's such a good pedal. It's 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 such a good sounding reverb uh, that like it kind of gets pushed to the side sometimes. I, you know, like people forget how good of a pedal that is. It's a great pedal. I prefer it to like a lot of other reverb pedals. Yeah, it's really good. All right. So we've talked about music therapy this whole time, but, you know, the real question is what kind of pizza do you prescribe to people when they're uh, feeling down? Yeah. What kind of pizza do you like, Chris? Um, If I'm testing out a place for how good its pizza is, I usually go for a margarita pizza, just basically. Okay. Um, I love pepperoni, too. I am not one of those uh, pineapple on pizza people. And I love, Thank you. it's probably my favorite fruit. And I know that you're the opposite, but right. I love pineapple, but it's not on my pizza. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. That one, I can't quite figure out. I feel like, a, but I guess, you know, I don't want, I like apples, but I don't want apples on my pizza. So yeah, I guess that you know, there's lots of things. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I, I can, I can get behind that. Well, thanks so much for this. Thanks. Thanks for the relaxation session. Uh, yeah. I, you know, I don't usually feel this chill after recording podcasts, but man, I'm feeling pretty chill. Like this is a, this is a good on some, uh, some post hardcore to wake up now. 
I'm gonna have to because I got stuff to do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think I'm. I think. Uh, I think I'll be blaring some. I don't know. I might even have to go heavier. I think I might be. An, oh. It might be an at the you know in flames oh, type of gates. day or yeah yeah, yeah or at the good. gates something like that. Solid. That might be what I need. <laughs> yeah. But this probably. is this is awesome. So maybe this is probably a good thing to leave people with. Where can they find more information on this? Where would you point people to? I know they can Google, but like if there's some specific resources you would recommend to people interested in this. Yes, for sure. I would look up musictherapy.org. That is the American Music Therapy Association's um, website. You can find out all about music therapy, where to where schools are. Um, you can find music therapists in your local area. So that's kind of like a good one-stop shop that you could figure out a lot of answers to questions. Uh, I would definitely recommend there. There's a lot of good uh, music therapy podcasters as well. Uh, there's one that I just started listening to. It's called Instrumental, and the mental part is in parentheses. Uh, and it's all about music psychology, which I think a, a good bit of your listeners would find that super fascinating. All the stuff you're kind of interested, you would find it fascinating. She's really good. Uh, it's called the instrumental podcast. Oh, sweet. I'm definitely going to look that up. That's awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much, Chris. This was awesome Uh, for Chris. This is Blake. Good luck and good tones. All right, folks, we did it. That was a, that was quite a time. Wasn't it? I, I thought that was all really fascinating. Hopefully you, you got something out of that as well. And yeah, look up the look up musictherapy.org if that sounds like something that is interesting to you. Um, if you want more of this conversation, we actually talk a little bit more gear on Patreon. Yes. So Chris come over came over to excuse me. Blah blah blah. My mouth is going too fast. Chris came over to Patreon with me and we recorded a little bit more over there. And it was, you know, as you heard, more of a great conversation. So if you want extra content delivered to your ears. Patreon's the place you do it. I've been putting out uh, extra episodes every week for the $5 and up people. So you can go to patreon.com slash tonewob, see if that's something that interests you. If not, I totally get it. I understand. But please keep listening and please keep telling your friends because that's what keeps this thing on the rails. All right. Until next week, folks. Talk to you later. Bye. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to tonemob.com stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is tonemob.com stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. 
Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstory as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out. 